Hello everyone, welcome back, or welcome for the first time. It's going to be a much longer introduction today, I hope that's not taking too many liberties. There's some context here I feel it's important to provide. In this conversation you'll hear the voices of the eminent, staggeringly brilliant philosophers Forrest Landry and John Vivekhi, also a cognitive scientist at the University of Toronto. You'll also hear the voice of the independent thinker Tyler Hollett, who joined me in this conversation to play more of a facilitation role explicitly. It was actually recorded last year in November 2020. And for a conversation of such value, or at least for a meeting of such minds as Forrest and John, you might be thinking, why haven't you released this sooner? First of all, it wasn't initially recorded with the objective outcome of releasing. And secondly, it has already been released, but released in a different fashion, not entirely publicly and also not privately. What precisely that method of distribution is remains somewhat vague and experimental in its coherence seeking. But actually, I'd like to say some things about that. This conversation was initially released as part of the Wiser Pathways experiment. The idea being, as indicated moments ago, that there might in fact exist a channel for communication that is between the private and the public, between the closed source and the open source. I named the protocol for sharing relational peer-to-peer. There's something altogether quite fragile about our public channels of distribution, as we've witnessed again recently with regard to censorship, for example. But whether via big tech or gated institution, narrative control and propaganda have competed in game-theoretic terms for who knows how long, since the threat of dissidence within one's group became apparent in the context of language, or since encounter with an outgroup took place in the context of ideas, ideologies, history as consensus, or that ironically malleable good opinion. Yet, overt and covert censorship and control, along with dynamics of audience capture and unwitting echo chambers, plus also the vulnerability to extraction and misuse associated with sharing certain kinds of personal intimacy or actionable knowledge on the open airwaves, these are just some of the potential deficits and fragilities associated with open source sharing in the context of our present communication channels. The vicarious participation via projection onto charismatic influences is another angle of critique and concern about the dynamics of the attention economy we're a part of that play out on this field of alleged open source access. And here I'll take liberty to suggest delving into the various philosophies of Alexander Bard for more insight into the dynamics of attentionalism. On the other hand, the dynamics of closed source sharing remain afflicted by potentials of audience capture and echo chambers, of course, now more solidified and disconnected from authentic interaction with other groups and ideas. The point here isn't to say something simple like open source bad, closed source bad. We are ultimately speaking about the dynamics of membranes and layered contexts of communication. It's just that we lack sophistication in doing so. But to even this out just a bit, a further lack or deficit associated with closed source dynamics is that for reasons of in-group, out-group rivalry, value which may otherwise serve the good of the commons between the groups might be withheld. In governmental or military contexts, this is of course the game, but the creep of this implied context of untrustful, rivalrous relations for a multitude of reasons, whether those pertaining to cancel culture or competition or fear, hardly serves the integrity of culture, and is incompatible with the kind of provision of value to the commons ultimately sought, or so I would argue, by the project of philosophy. And certainly that is sought by such thinkers as Forrest and John, for instance. 
So, with this desire to provide value to the commons in the context of fragility to censorship, deplatforming, capturability and extraction, etc., on the side of open source distribution, and on the other side, the private competition and solidification of echo chamber dynamics, etc., associated with closed source communication, is there a way we can nevertheless distribute value to each other that has a capacity for, if not anti fragility, then at least resilience in the face of various cultural perturbations? so that we can't just be switched off and cut out, right? Now, of course, depending on how deep we destabilize the stack upon which civility and civilization rest, then the degree of resilience we can speak about as properties of whatever the channel of distribution is, is very much called into question. But nevertheless, that is, in principle, the aim. And let me just say, to make it abundantly clear, not something I'm claiming remotely here to address to any substantial degree, even as I am suggesting a direction for onwards critical discussion and interaction. So, with all that said, this conversation was released effectively in a Google document that tried to make these points as clearly as possible. It also contains a full and edited transcript. It was available for people to share to whoever they felt would find value in the material, and who would also respect the sharing covenant. That is, to share in this relational peer-to-peer -peer fashion to those one is willing to be in responsible relationships of participation with, and therefore excluding, in the main, the broadcast modalities of, for instance, the major social media platforms and the attention-seeking algorithms of YouTube. So that's what was done, and the video has been watched, and it has made an impact, at least among those who have listened, and there have been some discussions that have resulted. But ultimately, what Wiser Pathways were seeking to do was to facilitate a much more distributed conversation, one that had the intention of progressing the conversation itself, not only to provide meaningful feedback and in that way participate in the ongoing developments of ideas between John and Forrest, for instance, but also to embody the exploration of the themes and dynamics discussed in a dynamic context. That is, in some sense, the necessary basis from which to reflect on the self-same process being discussed i.e. the dynamics of group formation and the praxis of distributed wisdom or collective intelligence in our digital age. So there's a certain metadynamic to what is invited here. Putting this in other words, we can talk about the invitation for this conversation to be digested by communities, groups of individuals within those communities, travellers between them, who then look to provide some meaningful feedback or evolution of response to the content in this conversation, to the broader collective, ultimately seeking to provision or create artefacts on behalf of, or as an outcome of interaction within specific communities that are themselves part of a distributed network. So facilitation into community conversation in a generative fashion. That's the hope at the very least. The thought has been that there might exist a shamanic context in the digital space between these communities, which are now playing important attractor roles in the development of this metacultural landscape that's seeking to form itself in response to the fractionation of culture and the developments of technology, and altogether the toxicity afflicting our channels of trustful relations, an assault on the relationality of trust itself by virtue of systemic incompetence and malincentive, as well as, I think, a deep confusion of existential modes we inhabit as human beings in our current age. The distinction between the having mode and the being mode via Eric Fromm being an example of this. So there's obviously a lot there that I've said, but the reality is 
This was a sincere effort to address and meaningfully progress the metacultural, alternative, intellectual, spiritual emergence of a coherent response to the moment. And as the best starting point of dialogue, one wouldn't be too far off in wondering if that wasn't Forrest and John. So, this is a conversation about distributed wisdom. Discussed are many ideas that are flow-ons from this. Forrest introduces a distinction between democracy, meritocracy and consensus, which some of you may have come across in other conversations by now, or have read about on Forrest's website in one of his essays. That's been linked in the show notes for this conversation. So too, you'll also find links to the initial Wiser Pathways document where you can read a hopefully clearer version of what I'm referencing now. And so I choose to release this publicly on the podcast RSS feed and um, open on YouTube now. Well, it has been some months and the reality is the distribution of the value here has not reached anywhere near its worthy potential. I do feel and I do think that the Wiser Pathways initiative as identifying a lack of internetwork dialogue and the shamanic space between networks, a duration in time that isn't inside anyone's house that no one owns, that is stewarded by a guild of stewards open to ongoing critical reflection and evolution, is, well, might just be a necessary next step to take as an emerging metaculture. I think part of the reason why the conversation occasionally is perceived to stall although I don't think it has by any stretch of the imagination, is because, not so much because of the content of conversation available and uh, ideas that have already been generated and are ripe for generative collaboration and critical discussion, but actually it's the context of the conversations which are most lacking. And although what I've said could be said in perhaps many other ways and someone's clearer, I think there's something here. I think it's something necessary and is something that is an invited step forward. If perhaps this gets a little bit more attention and perhaps in time there is more collaboration on behalf of those who are both involved in the recordings but also who are important nodes and attractors in this growing distributed network, we can have more of an effort made regarding and for inter community conversation and that maybe experiments in for example relational peer-to-peer sharing might in fact become possible if only they are launched by attractors with sufficient recognition and um, relational credibility let's say at least on a on a large enough scale so anyway i am going to record something that discusses all of this in a lot more detail but for now perhaps that's enough on wiser pathways And I hope this conversation can stand for itself, as the ideas here are worthy of discussion in any context. The hope was really to serve them as best as possible. So I hope you find a lot of value here. Remember, this wasn't initially aiming at a public recording, hence my microphone in use was just of standard inbuilt laptop quality. And a deep thank you to all the patrons and supporters of this podcast particularly over the last five or six months where there hasn't been too much by way of releases here with most effort in terms of content creation happening inside the Voicecraft network. It makes a big difference. Thank you. 
last time, and Tyler, you've listened to the conversation as well between John Forrest and I, wisdom was largely the lightning rod of focus that we spoke about. And it felt as though we were moving to some interesting places of convergence regarding that notion. I don't think that was exactly complete. And so <clears throat> I have sort of two minds as a context for this conversation. One of them is to see if we can't roughly pick up where we left off. And I have an idea of, um, you know, two framing questions for that. And then move into a sort of a shared with particular emphasis actually placed on um, each of your perspectives and not mine necessarily. Move into a shared, perhaps problem formulation, but maybe mutual understanding of the ecology of interrelating paths that make up this human experience, that make up this life experience, really. And the thing that is what I can presently say is the um, binding or perhaps most hopeful impetus I have is to see if it's not possible to dedicate myself to creating wiser affordances along those paths, wiser pathways. And so I'd like to maybe explore how we can look at this world now and um, what, we, what we might do about it so as to, so as to effectively enable the most wise educational possibilities and affordances for as many people as possible. That's effectively where I seem to be moving towards if I look inside to what's most worth being in dedication to, whether or not we can get there, whether or not I'm worthy in some sense of framing that is, is another question, but it looks to me like a, um, a worthwhile light to see if we can move towards. And so, um, you know, Having the three of you here for me is a, a real honor and something I'm extremely grateful for. And I, and I also have this belief that there are deeply resonant instruments to be added to that orchestra of understanding. Not so much final solutions, but honest endeavors towards seeing if it's not possible to do something just like this. So... Uh, quite a bit for 90 minutes. We'll see how we go. I think I will ask if that's all right, Tyler, to just sort of share your reflections on what the context of this conversation here sort of means to you and how it interrelates with the work you're doing at the moment regarding trying to understand the dynamics of community formation online, what people are seeking and um, why this kind of conversation is important and how it fits into your broader perspective. And after that, I have a mind for a question to ask John and then Forrest, um, but we don't have to take that route. It's not appropriate. So I'm sort of opening us up here for, for Tyler to, um, to move us on. Thank you. Okay. So, I mean, let me say first, cause I, I, just reminding myself as I was coming up to this, this because I'm, I feel like I, uh, I do not adequately express 
the value that I have in the process that is taking place. I, I don't give it enough of um, a personal testament to what I think is occurring here. So it, it speaks, I think, aspirationally to what I hope to achieve whenever I communicate. There's something which is present here, I think, right now in the moment is kind of an expectation that the individuals who are here will speak truthfully and honestly and probably in some sense beautifully on aspects that are important to things that we're experiencing, right? Be it academically or be it in the, just the, the direct uh, lived experience of the, maybe the way in which institutions are breaking down and in John's language, the meaning crisis is personally affecting us. But there, if I could say, from my perspective, what we're doing right now and what I have been seeing take place on the media platforms is, is honestly the, the aim of John's program and certainly of, of Forrest's clarity program with the imminent metaphysics, which I am sinking my teeth into. It's a phenomenal work. It, it's so unlike the way in which my mind functions. It's, 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 it's so much fun to pour my head into to fit to that form. It's really interesting. And it's, and it's ringing true in so many ways. But okay, so let me, let me get this straight. What's happening right here? I have profound respect for what's happening right now. Uh, profound respect for all three of you for what you have demonstrated in this process of communication, of instruction, of exposition, of seeking earnestly for answers in some sense perhaps more than that but okay so i say that in part because as i don't know, maybe as tim is alluding to what i feel strongly inside me is the is a kind of representation of a collective voice of a kind of cultural wave that's moving through it's like propagating through time here as a response to parts of the meaning crisis as a as a response to the the structural failings in certain cultural institutions and personal institutions. And that the groping aspect of that collective sense of needing a solution for it or solutions, right? A set of solutions is it's in this ever searching mode, like sifting through videos and sifting through articles and talking to each other about how to respond to these things. And they are finding themselves in various conclaves like, groups of affinity or, or you know, of the, the ephemeral kind, but this great conversation is starting to take place and it's filtering out into distinct regions and you can kind of hop in and out of them. It's really it's fascinating. But my sense is that the better the quality of the conversation and those who are participating in a desire to search for clarity, for, for truth, for beauty, the more palatable this this story will become right and i mean that not in the pejorative sense for i guess in the way that we talk about narrative but um the more the more coherent it will become and in some sense that means intelligible and that means a, a kind of sensible narrative a, a sense of causality that's moving through what's happening right now at, at multiple layers right at the meta at the the subjective and if we get it right we can have this big giant collective conversation, which is simultaneously instructive 
and participatory, right? And participatory in a really novel way, perhaps. It's never been possible before without the internet or at least the digital layer. If we can get this collective conversation going, then what we end up with is a suitable representation of the set of rules and instructions that will bind human beings together in a way that is it's sustainable and sustainable in the sense that we avoid the, all the catastrophic collapse scenarios that you know, everyone screams about being possible. So that, I guess that's the kind of reverence that I attach to what is ultimately taking place here. But that's, that's not to say that it's, it's not rife with error and I don't screw it up all the time. But I, um, I'm hoping that the collective searching that people are, are demonstrating a need for is actually hidden, not necessarily even hidden, but it's found conjoined within both of your work and others, not just your own, but some, and there's other work. And, and John, yours is a condensation of a lot of work, right? There's, there's so much that you've brought together, which is meaningful in some sense, but so this conversation that I think both Tim and I feel needs to be fostered right now is certainly something which has to take place between your bodies of knowledge, right? And from it, we can get a sense of what is really going on in these isolated pockets of understanding that are resonant in ways that we can't really articulate yet or not well enough. Yeah, so maybe I should stop there. That's what I see taking place. That's what I'm trying to encourage in some regard with this conversation. And I see it as... Um, is highly important and meaningful and also a lot of fun. Yeah, beautiful, Tyler, really beautiful. Okay, so pretty much uh, from here, if you feel like I'm going off course in any way, I give everyone full permission to help me steer back on course. Um, so I think perhaps we could begin, John, you have such an excellent ability to sort of um, reframe things. I'm, I'm curious to sort of hear um, in part, what your relevance realization is calling you to recognize as what's most important regarding the focus of your energy to this ecology of context we're trying to presence, this evolving conversation that's trying to understand itself better and provide more wiser pathways for people, but also in relationship to the conversation we shared last time in terms of where we reached as a point of um, potential convergence, where there might have been some clarity, where there needs to be more clarity. This notion of wisdom's in there for me. I don't have the most clear question, but perhaps if you can maybe frame where you feel like you're at with this evolving conversation, perhaps between the four of us now here. Sure, I'd be happy to uh, give it a try. So first of all, thank you. For inviting me to this and um, I share Tyler's sense of reverence for the possibilities of what I call dialogos and so I think what we convey and what we embody in this is as important to people who might be watching it as anything we particularly say and so um, I like the care uh, that has been being given right now uh, to that context the context in which our conveying and coming into it and embodying it. Um, and so I wanted to thank you both for doing that because I think that's really, really important. So for me, 
what's concerning, what, what's central in my work right now, what, what, what I'm concerned with, um, that has to do with the, this space that Tyler has been talking about is, I see there's a race going on. Uh, um, I mean, that's a metaphor, but it's a helpful metaphor between what uh, Jules Evans has called conspirituality, uh, which is this fusion of conspiracy and spirituality and uh, the way it's proliferating. And um, both Jules and I were on the Rebel Wisdom podcast where we both independently sort of predicted that this was going to accelerate under COVID, and it has, and it continues. And I think we're seeing that um, the way it's ramifying into uh, the political arena, the social arena. I have so many people that I'm talking to now who say that they're, they've seen friends and family being taken up into this, uh, this conspirituality pervasively and destructively. And so, and I think, I think it both feeds off of and feeds back into the meaning crisis in a profound way. And so I've been doing a lot of work with the help of others and Christopher Master Pietro and several other people about trying to introduce a way of, of introducing the, cult of the, the mutually supportive cultivation of wisdom within collective discourse so that we can activate, actualize, accentuate uh, collective intelligence and perhaps exact it into collective wisdom so that we can give individuals the power to discern so, they could, so that reality can more readily disclose itself to them. And we can give uh, groups the power to discern so things can more readily disclose. I think that there are, we're confronting hyper objects now, to use Timothy Morton's term, more and more often, you know, we, and, and the internet itself and this, these communities are becoming hyper objects. And I think the only resource that's really well disposed to the discerning and disclosing grasp of hyper objects is uh, distributed cognition because of the kind of machinery, uh, cognitive machinery that needs to be brought to bear to grasp these hyper objects. And I think that's sort of a perennial lesson. So for me, this project that I call dialectic into dialogos, where dialectic is the practice and dialogos is the process that can catch fire between people is really central to me right now because I think it, and, and I don't mean just what I have, uh, there's a whole family of these practices that are all emerging all, uh, all around and, and trying to articulate that with the best cognitive science that's available and the best history that's available and then put that into an ongoing participant observation and, and re-engineering of these practices so that we have something that is a viable and competitive alternative to conspirituality sort of maybe aspirational spirituality, aspir right? Sort of uh, uh, something analogous, aspirationality uh, or something like that. I'm trying to do something on the fly here. Um, uh, <laughs> and so uh, that's uppermost in my mind right now. Um, and, and, and as the ancient practice about trying to find out what are the appropriate ways to activate the cognitive uh, both individual and, uh, and collective processes 
that best coordinate the individual and collective cultivation of wisdom so that people are, to use some language from Plato, so they're tempted to the good. They're tempted away from conspirituality and they're tempted towards what I think we're all aspiring to in this space right here, right now. And getting, so, you know, getting clear about what this is, getting clear about how it works, get it clear about how it, how it can whet our appetite for a greater and better way of being in a consistent uh, manner is what's uppermost in my mind these days. Awesome. Thank you, John. Forrest, how, how does that framing relate to your dedication in the world at the moment? And um, I'm curious in what ways you feel as though you might um, have something to add that can help us all deepen and further our clarity in relation to these notions. I think the, the, the note of appreciation has been sounded really well. I, I would feel redundant to add to that, although I, I feel similarly. I've heard very strongly the note of humility uh, as well, uh, all around. And um, I, th I think that's a, that's, a, that's a very strong element as well. I'm really liking all of these elements. I, I'm, I'm, the directions that I've heard that, that have been spoken to all, all feel right. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm wanting to affirm the goodness of what has been spoken to. John, I think your, your, your remarks are uh, very much in keeping with my own uh, impressions, although I, I feel that my exposure is much less limited, so you have much more nuanced perspective in some of these areas than I, than I could hope to speak to. I think that, uh, you know, first of all, just in terms of the embodiment part of the process, it's been an element of my experience, particularly over the last week, to really be exploring the embodiment piece, like how, how do we think about wisdom at an embodied level, at a personal level, as well as um, at a collective level? And, and what is that, how, how does that work in conversation? How does that work in, in conversational process? So I, I think in just to, in answer to the question of what's top of mind, I've, I've really been, uh, I guess, increasingly curious to both for my own sake in terms of how I am embodying myself in the world, but also in terms of of just the nuances of conversational process. And, and so, you know, I feel like I'm still learning about a lot of that. It's just such an amazing subtlety to conversational process. It is truly an art form. And sometimes I practice well, and other times I don't practice as well. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, if I'm, if I'm gonna be, uh, you know, keeping in, in the, the humility space, I, I feel that I was not sufficiently humble the last time I spoke with you, John, and I apologize for that. And, um, I, I don't actually, think it's needed, but I, I appreciate sentiment, but I don't think an apology is needed, but thank you. Well, it's, it's, I, I feel that I, 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 I risked, um, I, I risked maybe offending you and I, and I worried about that quite a bit after our last conversation, because I, I, I am actually really interested in all of, all of these things and these processes and, and, and uh, people's thoughts about all this. But in terms of adding something substantive, I, I guess, you know, my reflections, I, I think, follow a lot with, with yours is that, you know, I notice, for example, that we are all as people, uh, that our level of wisdom varies and that the, the level of variance that, that the wisdom encompasses, I mean, 
it's probably not unlikely to, 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 to be true that um, the wisest of us is not a thousand times more wise than the average, right? Mm-hmm. The level of wisdom that, that we each hold is, you know, on a spectrum, but it's not such a thing that, you know, if a person's going to be a leader of a million people or a billion people that they, you know, we would hope that they would have the wisdom of a million people, but that's actually just an impossible thing to ask, right? I mean, it's like, how could we possibly? So, so therefore, we, we must be thinking about wisdom at a uh, distributed level, like how it's embodied in culture and community. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that there's a, there's a really deep recognition of that, that we are all both looking at how do we hold wisdom in community? And, and the embodiment piece, I think, is actually really important because, you know, when, when we think about, at least when I think about what wisdom is, I mean, partly the, the notion of embodiment refers to the sense that there's an encompassing view, that there's a holistic view, that there's um, experience, that a person who is wise is usually regarded as an older person who has had a variety of experiences in life and can kind of see in the present moment, uh, reflections and echoes of so many of these earlier experiences. And so that when they're responding in the present moment, that they're responding from a place that is informed by and infused by, and that that innate in their being is this capacity to respond more holistically, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to to not have gotten caught up in in just the surface details, but to be able to see the deep motion that's going on, to, to move from symptoms to causes. Mm-hmm. And to be responding to those causes is, you know, in effect, more conscious. There's a, there's a higher level of, of awareness that is, that is, in a sense, being uh, brought in. There's, there's a wider spectrum of values that are being brought in. There's, there's more awareness as to the kinds of things that might be unintended consequences and, and all the usual things that, that normally uh, we would ascribe to thinking well and clearly becomes intuiting well and clearly. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a feeling through that is, is as, as important as a thinking through. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, in much of my earlier work, I'm thinking of the effective choice book particularly, but there's, there's this real notion of trying to enable people to both feel through an issue and think through an issue clearly. And, to, and, and in the combination of those things, to be able to trust on, on some real basis that their choices would in fact be good choices as a result. And so I think that, you know, what we're, what we're all seeking to do here is to uh, find ways to try to create that same phenomenology at the level of the group. And partly that's a recognition that, you know, if we're looking for factors of say a million to one wisdom over what the best of us could achieve today, uh, that we really do need the diverse perspectives of a group to be able to do so, right? That the embodied experiences of all of those people are, are part of the process. That we're, we're now looking for the kinds of conversational dynamics that are in gestalt going to emerge that wisdom at the collective level. Mm-hmm. So this emphasis on... Um, conversational quality and practice therefore feels very relevant to me. And mm-hmm. so I, uh, I guess you could say the top of mind for me, particularly recently is, is, is how I'm showing up or failing to show up in precisely that way. And, and, and also the kind of interplay between say how we speak to one another versus how we write to one another. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and, and, and the kinds of implications that that has. You know, if I were to maybe sum up in a, in a sort of quip of, 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 of how this reflection has come together is that it, 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 when, we, when we think about the level of intimacy that is created, it's, it's, it's largely more often the result that it is lower bandwidth, slower communications. Mm-hmm. And that when we go to higher bandwidth, faster communications, that, well, it just doesn't feel as intimate. It feels mm-hmm. more like about power or, you know, influence in some sense rather than about uh, deep reflective inquiry. So in, in, in that particular sense, I've, I've been coming to appreciate the, uh, the notion of deep communication via text as, uh, you know, slow, low bandwidth, low tech as being more conducive to, at least in some respects, to the development of collective insight than, um, you know, fast moving, full media, virtual reality experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, where the technology becomes so much of the intermediation of the communication between people that the, that the, that the tech itself becomes a barrier and it also becomes a vehicle for manipulation of the context. Mm. That also has been a theme that has been very much a part of my reflections is, is noticing that, and, and this is, this is a very broad observation that, 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 that he who controls the distribution also is thereby enabled to and, and likely does control the extraction mm-hmm. and, and I'm using the word extraction in a somewhat pejorative way I'm, I'm, I'm meaning it to mean you know extraction of not just you know materials out of the earth or or extraction of money from a community but also the notion of the extraction of social benefit mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not just the case, you know, in an industrial setting or in, you know, we're talking about distribution of goods, you know, like Amazon has a centralized distribution of goods or, or um, Facebook as a centralized distribution of, of social connection or, um, you know, any one of our news companies, you know, pick one in New York Times or something as being a centralized distribution of media information. That even in, in, in any case where there is a, um, a distribution process that is occurring and it's, it, it has a kind of uh, focused central character and is high bandwidth and is, is oriented around creating scale and, and, and monetary flow and so on, that it is inherently having this other aspect, which is essentially extracting value from the commons. Mm-hmm. And, and in, in, in my case, particularly part of the reason why this is coming up is because I'm wanting to give value to the commons. I'm wanting to, you know, provide a, a way to have insights, whatever ones that I've been able to develop in my brief life, and hope that uh, some portion of that is of, of utility to not just one other person, but to an entire community of people so that it may enable some increased capacity on the part of that community to genuinely be able to embody wisdom in their active practice. Not to say that what I'm saying to them is wisdom, but to Mm -hmm. say that what I'm hoping to provide as value is the capacity, or at least some 
maybe minor increase in, in the community's capacity to embody wisdom. And so from that, I'm, I'm, I'm now finding that I need to be very careful that it doesn't become, you know, a, a dissemination or distribution process. And, and, and that, you know, if I'm, if I'm doing that, that, that it, that it not become about me, but also that by leaving value on the table, that it doesn't become about somebody else. And so, you know, in effect, it's, it's, it's a larger question of how do we contribute values to contribute value to the commons in any way, you know, if I was uh, maybe to make a metaphor of it, of like, say we're a community that's in the desert and there's, you know, people there who by whatever means, maybe they're harvesting water from the air through some sort of um, tech that does that. And there are such things by the way, but, and so they, you know, they each barely collect a little bit of water and they know that there's going to be a time sometime in the future, maybe next year, where there's just not going to be an ability for them to be out of the water. So they, they collectively decide to pool their water. They have a, they have a tank and they, they each contribute, you know, a, a liter of water a day. And so there's this container that has all of this water in it. And at the end of the year, you know, it's, it's, it's looking pretty good. And there's a possibility by just the sheer fact that the, the water is valuable and it's all in one place that somebody could basically just drive yeah. a truck up in the middle of the night and, you know, pick up the tank and just leave. Right. And, and so, you know, if, if, if you're a person in the community before all of this has happened and people are saying, Hey, we have this plan to collect all this water and it would be really good because next year there's a chance we won't be able to, and this water will mean this community will survive can you please make a donation? And, and, you know, that's, that's like now the, the story. And as a member of the community, I, I can ask myself, well, what is the capability that the community has to be a steward of this collected value to prevent a, uh, you know, a, a, a malcontented person to just basically uh, abscond the, the collected efforts of, of the entire community after they have gone through all of this work and therefore literally put their own lives at risk. And so this, this notion of stewardship of community value in a distributed way, stewardship of the capacity to produce wisdom in a distributed way, the, the notion by which there is a genuine relationship of trust between the individual and the community, knowing that the community is not only capable, but genuinely thoughtful as, as, a, as a process, as some sort of total process that is uh, trustable, right? That, that the basis of choice is trustable, that, that there's a, there's capacity to give to the community without putting oneself at disadvantage. So in, in effect, I'm, I'm exploring these notions of altruism, right? And, and there's a whole scale of altruism. And I, this, this is, you know, thinking that's relatively recent for me, but it's, it's basically to notice that um, at every increase in the scale of altruism from individual to maybe family to local community to, you know, just regional or distributed community, it's some larger sense, national, international species ecosystem and trans ecosystem for those of us who are um, thinking maybe about futures in that space. But the, the, the idea here is, is that each of those levels, if, if we're contributing to one of those levels, if we're contributing value to a commons, that we are effectively making ourselves a little more vulnerable in that process. We are risking a bit of multipolar trap entanglement. 
And so how do we create the capacity for wisdom in a community without having the individual participants feel that they are disadvantaging themselves in time or capacity in, a, in some other way and to be able to hold that balance rightly. And, and, and what does that look like? What are the structures that enable that to be possible? What are the kinds of communication dynamics between individuals that, that allow for the gestalt of this process to emerge? Mm. So that's been a lot of what's top of mind over the last three weeks. Mm. There's a lot there and um, maybe this will make a difference. Uh, you feel different this time for us than last time I interacted with you. It feels very different. Um, and I appreciate that. I just wanted to acknowledge that. Um, so I'm not going to try to respond to everything. I'll, I'll pick up a couple pieces and maybe, and I'll try and keep this, like where I am confronting it. Um, I had a discussion with one of my Patreon supporters the other night and we, we, and it was a really open discussion. I really asked him for his help and for feedback because he was noticing this pattern uh, and it goes to the issue of distribution. That's why I'm bringing this up. He was noticing this pattern of the self silos of the people who get into these communities. They come in, they have ideas, they want to share in the commons and then what happens is a community starts to build up around them and they start to become beholding to the community and then they start to become rigid and ossified in their capacity uh, to interact and they self-silo and then the whole thing turns into a comprehensive uh, echo chamber and then the whole thing basically at a performative level has it's fallen into contradiction right and um and so i said yeah and, and, I, and I, I i'm really concerned with that problem and um, um, I'm really, I'm really wanting to get the best advice I can. I mean, I have a bunch of negative templates that I'm saying, don't do that and don't do that and don't do that and don't do that. Uh, but, you know, carving things out from negative space is a very, it's not very good relevance realization. And so um, trying to figure out, um, I mean, he was, in, he was encouraging me. He was saying that so far, you know, there's things I'm doing that, are helpful, but um, I, I mean, I take this question. I, I know, I know, Forrest, it's not comprehensively of everything you said, but I think it, it 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 intersects with it in a powerful way. I take this question very, very seriously because I I also know the sort of sociological fact of the twenty eighty rule, right? You're, you're always going to get twenty percent of the people doing eighty percent of the work, and right, and so those people quite rightly want to right they right they don't want to get into cognitive dissonance you don't want to say hey put in all this effort but you know you're not going to get any extra feedback from that and they're going to basically at some point they're going to say screw you because that's that's too much that's too much cognitive dissonance for me to bear right i'm, I'm not going to value it if i'm putting all this effort into it and i'm not getting anything back and so i don't know i don't like how do we and i'm the you know, how and I'm confronting this like in, in sort of my, my own community is like, how, how do we intersect properly the 2080 rule and the self siloing problem as I've been calling it, calling it like, how do we get those right? I, I think trying to say, well, what we'll do is we'll just make it so we don't have the 2080 rule. I, I don't have much confidence in that happening, 
Um, and, and so, and then, like I said, the, the self-siloing phenomena seems to be really robust. It seems to be really robust. And of course, the two really start to reinforce each other as soon as they start clicking. And so I don't, I don't have an answer for this. I'm trying to do what Tim suggested. I'm trying to get a clear, at least a, a clear, and I'm asking for your help, Boris. I, I, I'm being honest right now. I know you, you, you think about these things in a profound way. Like, I, I want to try and formulate this problem. I want to understand, like, it, like, is this an inevitable pattern? Is there a way of trying to steer around it? If, if it's to some degree in, in, inevitable, can I at least ameliorate it significantly? So that at, I, I share with you, I want to drop into the commons as much as possible, but again, not in a way in which, right, you know, to, I'll, I'll use your analogy, in which theft and misappropriation is not also being accelerated and enhanced. So, you, 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 first of all, you've already added to that. I, I was thinking most of the 2080 and the self-siloing, but now you've also put in the vulnerability thing. And I think that's appropriate. So I think there's a triangle, like there's a triangular problem, if you'll allow me a ge geometrical metaphor, that needs to be really properly formulated and hopefully in a way that can afford some insight of how to break out of this, or at least, at least ameliorate it so that we're, the balance of good is overtaking the balance of bad. Um, I, I mean, maybe, may, I mean, sometimes you know, we can only satisfy our problems. Um, um, but anyways, that's enough. Uh, that's, that's my sort of response. Uh, I'm trying, like, I, I'm trying to get, you know, the poles of the problem and try to lay out the relationship between them. You've already helped by adding in this other one that I wasn't paying enough attention to. And like, and I see these three now as interacting in, in a very complex, but really robust pattern in human interaction. If I could insert a quick comment, it, it, I think part of the problem with the, the wisdom question, both in the specific and the general, is is that wisdom seems to come in different flavors, right? Depending on your tastes. The characterization, my salience landscape of the world depends so much upon my tastes, right? what I'm looking for, what I'm seeking in the world. And when our own experience is so radically divergent from others in our same communicative group, we end up using languages and experiences that mismatch. Then there's a fundamental kind of conflict that starts to accrue over time. I think you see that played out all the time with the rich and the poor and urban and the, uh, the rural. And there's this, in, in, you know, country, nation, nation, there's, there's some kind of separation of you know, this dynamic quality to the human culture that then alters over time and it comes back and it clashes. And really what we could try to do, I think, is rather than have this clash occur, find the meta-narrative that ties it together beautifully, like, like you know, like the, the straining of the DNA, right? It, it's performing this spiral dance rather than colliding and ending the strand. It continues on and allows for like incredible compaction of information in such a small space. There's something in that metaphor about finding the right relationship by which one can continue through time, right? Opposing forces balancing out in some common space. And you know, in that case, like the way the nucleotides fit together. But in, in, in our case, we're, we're in this much more complicated, as you were mentioning before, John, I think the, this uh, hyperdimensional space where the, the, the landscape that we're attempting to navigate is you know, it's profoundly complex because tastes are complex and they stack. 
right? They embed themselves. So uh, sweet and savory combine themselves on my tongue into a single experience. But right, the same thing is true maneuvering through the internet. I'm getting this like extraordinarily synesthetic, complex set of tastes satisfied. And that is such an important part of this problem, I think. It's not just the acquisition or the, the establishment of a good definition of wisdom, but it's also understanding this McLuhan point that the medium is the message, the very capacity that it has to mold our internal expressions, or, or maybe that's a little off in, in your language for us, like, since the expressive is the subjective. But, okay, so there's, yeah, so there's something that has to, do, so it's, it almost seems like if we give ourselves enough time, this has to do with the age component, we come to wisdom. But if something hijack, hijacks that or circumvents the process, you know, something captures us, then we, we cannot progress along this kind of ordinary curve of development. So I don't know if we can recapitulate that whole kind of process in a shorter span, right? In, in, in different, well, j just in different compressions of time. There has to be, again, this is, this is uniting both the, the, the singular egoic structure of the self with the disparate capacities of the cognitive architecture or the, the, kind of the singular nature of a kind of nation with its disparate parts of its citizens or, I mean, you, you name it, there's a, that, like you were saying, of course, the, the gestalt has a, a method by which its spirit is expressed. And something embodies that voice. Something always tries to give voice to it anyhow. I think this is part of the pattern ex expressed. And yeah, okay, so I just wanted to throw that in there. And, and I, th I think we are, in fact, looking for an embodied wisdom, right? But one that is, it is pluralistic in some sense, right? It isn't just captured in a single individual. It's expected across, I don't know, far more nodes in the network. Well, I mean, first of all, I want to say something in response to the title, and then I want to ask you a question if possible. So one of the things we have going for us in collective intelligence is personality. Like, you know, whether or not it's the, the, the hexago or the big five. I mean, I'm just, I'm actually trying to get a paper published on this right now. And what, what do I mean by that? The differences between people on like, say, openness and conscientiousness, right? What you can see is the, these, are, these are different distributions on trying to deal with the, the stability plasticity problem. And whereas when an individual is doing relevance realization sort of within their cognition, balancing stability and plasticity, what you have with personality differences is you get relevance realization across individuals. They, the individuals are, are sort of different places. Uh, and so like if, you know, here's a person with openness, just to use it, a, a really simplistic model. It's way more multidimensional, but here's a person with openness and they, a person with conscientiousness. And they actually do much better together than just openness or just conscientiousness, right? And it allows relevance realization to be distributed across individuals. At a, at a genuinely meta level over their individual cognition, because personality is, right? And personality is in that sense very much embodied. What, what I'm proposing is we need to look for the analogy, something analogous, 
what would be analogous at the level of discourse, if that's the level we're talking about, that would be something like what personality is. Because uh, we, we don't really, we don't have to do personality. It sort of gets given to us. It's a gift. It's evolutionary gift for us that helps to afford. Um, and there's now, there's now increasing evidence that we had been blind to personality differences in other species. And we're starting to realize, oh, right, this is, this is sort of an evolutionary strategy in general. I don't think personality is going to do the job at the level of collective wisdom is what I'm saying. And I'm wondering what the analog is. So that's my response to what you're saying there. Like, okay, well, so, let, me, let me just ask for yeah, a clarification. Yeah. So in yeah. my internal dialogue, I speak to myself, right? I construct two different inner yeah. archetypes, but some form by which they are conveying some yeah. colliding or interpenetrating notion. And I'm trying to get them to resolve themselves. And something, if I'm allowing it, if I reach some consensus or agreement or conclusion, it unifies, right? It, it goes into this one thing. And that, yeah, so that, that process, I mean, what about like the party system in politics? Isn't that an attempt to you know, you know, produce a single outcome with this kind of collective sense of what the, it's, it's like the texture of their thought is that their salience landscape, again, this is to the taste thing. And this is, I think, dovetailing in exactly with your personality point, of course, that, the, that there's something to what is being looked at into the, in the world and attended to that allows the collective attention to start sculpting what is important in that space. So in one party system, they're collectively agreeing that this is important and, and others are unimportant. And in the other party, they, you know, they disagree, of course. But that there's, there's something to the unification of that process, which we're, we're at least kind of implicitly, we're hoping, leads to some wisdom consensus. In reality, it's always like this like fever pitch battle that just goes back and forth. Right. But, right. But, but what I was trying to say is we can rely on the evolutionary gift of innate personality differences to keep the differentiation side of the equation going. And what I'm worrying about with the self-siloing is the unity, people will move to unity, totally, I get that. But the kind of unity we see people moving towards is not the kind of unity that is conducive to the collective wisdom that we need for addressing the problem. That, so that's what I'm trying to get at. I'm trying to get at, what's the count? I, I, I overwhelmingly see people move, that's what I'm trying to get. The self -siloing. something like recruitment, right? So neurologically, something like recruitment, where the, the resonance of the structure it, it incorporates local regions and brings it into a to sink, maybe something like that. Or, or something, but, but some, it's, to, and, and I want to hear what Forrest has to say. Sorry. But I, me... is I, 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 like, I, I mean, I'm not trying to shut you up either. I, I think I'm saying I think I'm talking too much. Um, but like, to me, you know, figuring out how, it's people will move to unity. I don't, I, I think that's another given we've evolved for that from the beginning. Um, so what, and like I said, at the level of collective intelligence, we have this huge counterweight that's given to us and we just take it for granted. But I don't know if at the level where what we're trying to get at with collective wisdom, we have that kind of counterweight that will break out of that triangle problem of the 80, 20 rule, the vulnerability to theft and the self siloing. Because people will move to unity uh, to, to address those three things. But to what I see is the unities they're moving towards are, are not, I, I don't know what the adjective is, not healthy. They're not adaptive. They're not, they're not the kind of unities that are giving us the distributed cognition to deal with the, the meta crisis that is looming 
over the right, planet. Right. Well, I mean, like, so just, yeah, so sorry, very quickly, like, that's it. That's like, that's the creation of the shadow, right? That's the exclusion of whatever is not like, right? Whatever's dissimilar is out. And that's the mm -hmm. forever schisming process that occurs and, and produces yeah. the outskirts of culture, which then congeal and create this new process. And the question is one of something like legitimacy almost, right? The, the black market always exists. The fringes must persist. They, 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 they have a legitimate right, right? Some, some claim on, on, on existence, everything that lives that deserves to be alive in some sense. There's a rather lot I would say, and there's uh, unfortunately not enough time. So I, I need to abbreviate a lot, and I'm apologizing if my abbreviations end up creating more confusion. But if that does happen to be the case, that there's places that seem unreferenced, ex expand those, ask me to, to expand those. Uh, in response to the question, and I'm going somewhat in reverse order, uh, John, that you had asked is, is there a technique that can ameliorate this at least at terms of the social physics level? Mm -hmm. Yes, there are several. Um, I think in this context, one that comes to mind is, and this is just an example of the class, but um, say in a circle of a tribe where there's a tribe of people who are trying to have a wisdom conversation, mm -hmm. the tribe is collectively trying to respond to a situation. And you brought up the notion of personality, although I think it's actually simpler to just refer to it as age. Mm. And in effect, uh, and there's, there's, there's stories I could tell where I've, I've, I've actually tested this and done this, but um, you know, there's a council, it's got like 30 or 50 or however many people in it. And you basically say, put yourself in order age such that the, the person at this position, start of the circle is the youngest. Mm -hmm. And you go around until the person that is the last person is sitting right next to them is the eldest. Right. And you have each of them speak in order from youngest to eldest, saying fully what it is that is theirs to say. And as much time as is given as for that is given. But when that person yields to the one sitting to his left, it is a true yield. Mm -hmm. And when the person that is receiving the yield of the person before him speaks, it is to build on what the person before him has yeah. said. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not to be in contradiction, but it is to build. And that these are the agreements that are held in the group. And I have found that to work really well, assuming a few posits, which are once it starts going all the way, you know, towards the end of the circle, it's going to slow down because people are going to spend more time being more thoughtful mm -hmm. because they're responding in part to build on top of all of the stuff that has been said by all of the people younger than them. And so going out of sequence, going out of order, you don't let it go back to one of the younger people to respond to what the elder person has said. Mm -hmm. This is a deceptively simple social technique. Don't let that deceive you. It is very, very thoroughly thought out. It's very, very nuanced. It's a lot more going on there than it seems. But the net result is, is that it is far more likely that wisdom will emerge in the group and that it won't end up in that siloing for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of compensatory stuff built into that, as simple as it seems. Mm -hmm. I want to speak to the broader question. And I, I think I'm just going to first, before even doing that, to preface this with an acknowledgement, which is that uh, you, I, I sense in the question and the way that you asked it, and also the, 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 the awareness that you gave to 
um, you know, how to distill all that I had said and, and cut it down to a central issue, which was um, thematically related to all the rest of the stuff that I had said. And I, I felt that that was actually quite discerning on your part, and I very much appreciate it. Mm. And so to respond to that question of how do we stabilize social process so that it doesn't end up becoming this um, concentrated, unstable thing, right? Because the 80-20 rule, as you've said, is a real thing. Mm -hmm. um, again, this is one of the abbreviations. You asked, can it be done? Yes, it can be done. Mm -hmm. There is a way. Does it answer all of the concerns that have been answered? So far as I know, yes, it has. I've tested this myself, mm -hmm. but this is, again, an opinion that I'm rendering. To give you some sense as to the nature of what it is that I'm actually um, alluding to, I need to describe just a piece of how I came to even be considering this same question myself. So in other words, the kind of language that I was using to think about it, which is that same sort of two-pole, three-pole perspective. And this language might seem a little bit uh, abrupt and or um, maybe too strong, but nonetheless, in, in, when, when Daniel Jordan and I were meeting consistently uh, some, some years ago, and I was presented with the same question as they asked it. I basically said, well, to solve a problem in this particular space, we're going to have to treat it as that there are two goals. There are two posts. There are two poles that must be passed. The solution has to pass as if these two things were true. The first one was technology is toxic. And the second one are people are predators. So mm -hmm. in other words, a solution is only a solution if it's good enough that it could treat it as if it was the case. The technology was completely toxic rather than just mostly toxic. And that people were completely predatory rather than just mostly that way. And I'm speaking mm -hmm. again in a technical way in both of these senses, but there's strong ways to validate these concepts and to show that this isn't, you know, these, these aren't unreasonable positions to basically say that a solution has to pass this. Mm -hmm. And so it was from that, that, and, and at that time, you know, those are pretty, those are exquisitely stringent tests you know, and, and, and again, I, I just said flat out to, to, to both of them, it's like, you know, you, you understand that those, those two positions are almost diametrically opposed and, and any solution that, that would even be recommended in this space is going to run afoul of one of the other of those. This is, this is actually a really, really hard problem. And I'm very, very doubtful that a solution can be created. But fortunately, I literally spent all of my time working on it since then. And about two years later, I did get an inkling that it was possible to solve. It was, uh, it's in mathematics, it shows up as a proof of existence. I was able to develop a proof that there was actually a solution, that it wasn't perfectly contradictory. Mm. That was good news. And that gave me the encouragement to keep looking. And so I began to explore manifestations of this issue in the sense of uh, multipolar traps and uh, rules for rulers dynamic, mm -hmm. um, which again, I'm, I'm just alluding to whole fields of study here, but that becomes, in describing it these ways, it's coming closer to the question that you actually asked me. Sure. And, and so to, to respond, can it be done? Yes, it can. Um, one way that I can give you a sense as to a little bit of what it feels like, although it is not anything more than a sketch, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a description that shows how, it can, how the, the, the underlying thinking methodologies can actually be applied in this space and it doesn't look like anything we've ever seen before 
Mm. Um, back in 2001, I wrote an essay about the dynamics of small groups. It's on my website. Um, it's been published there for quite a while. And one of the things that it does, and this is, again, just treat this as an example. It's not a solution in itself. It talks Fair about enough. groups that are small. It's yeah. not designed to be scalable. If, if we look at governance methodologies, we see it as having three orthonormal poles. Could be described as consensus, mm -hmm. uh, democracy, and meritocracy. Mm -hmm. um, and again, they formal, the, that essay formalizes those terms and shows how we can treat those threes as true poles and that it's subsumptive of the whole field of thinking about it and so on. But if, but if we take these three as kind of classic examples, then we see that, well, you know, the, the notion of, of, of how we do consensus, although it gives us very strong choices, right? If a group comes to consensus, you've really got buy-in on the part of the group, but it's also very slow moving and yeah. it doesn't always resolve, right? So those are the advantages and the disadvantages. When you get to democracy, democracy tends to divide groups into subgroups, which are all fighting with one another. And um, it's, it, it can't deal with complex situations at all. It's, it's actually very poor at dealing with complex situations. And it's actually amenable to subtle forms of manipulation of context. Like if you present only options and they're all bad, then you know that's just what happens, right? And then when you look at meritocracy, meritocracy, well, we know the advantages of it. It's if, if you need a decision fast, it's pretty good at producing fast decisions. And if you need a decision to be coherent, well, you have the coherency of the leader who's therefore yeah. going to be making it the coherency of the group. And the disadvantages obviously are he can end up that leader acting on his own benefit and not the benefit of the group, right? So corruption and issues like that. And if you, if you say, okay, well, they all have advantages, disadvantages, and nobody's come up with a perfect governance model because they all have these problems and any superposition of these issues would have all these same issues. And if you look at it from that perspective, it seems like an impossible problem. But it turns out that there's another set of tools. There's this thing called Axiom 2 in the metaphysics. And it allows us to think about the problem in a way that actually comes up with a surprising answer that addresses all of this. Mm. There's a convolution that can occur. You can basically treat the space as if it was, um, you, you treat the boundary of self between the group and the outside world as a variable. And you can basically say, if it's internal to the group and it's just about the internal nature of the group, we want it to be about consensus. If it's in relation to the group and the outside world, we need it to be in the sense of meritocracy because in order for the action of the group to be coherent with respect to the world, it needs focus. Meritocracy gives you focus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But how do you make a transition from consensus to meritocracy and from meritocracy back to consensus? Well, to go from consensus to meritocracy is relatively straightforward. You basically have consensus as to who's going to be the focus for the group. Mm -hmm. But then you use democracy to reverse that. You basically say that whenever there is a vote of no confidence in the currently selected from the consensus process of the meritocratic of the thing, then effectively that vote returns the group to a consensus process. No. And that yeah. is the only way in which you use a vote. Yeah. In other words, a vote is used for no other purpose than to translate from meritocratic process back to consensus process. And there's no mediation between consensus process and meritocracy process. It emerges naturally. Right? It emerges. So what happens is, is that when you actually look at the math of the particular dynamic that's evolved here, 
it's really quite powerful. It has the capacity to essentially address the greatest strengths of all of the things that are the good things about consensus, meritocracy, and democracy. And it doesn't carry any of the weaknesses. The weaknesses cancel out. Mm. So, you know, in, in, in a sense, it was like, okay, this works for small groups. It doesn't work for large groups. There's a lot of specific things that have to be thought of in order to think about this at scale. A lot of people tried to uh, basically take this technique and, 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 and just basically treat it as a scalable thing. So we'll make clusters of teams and we'll try to create right. some sort of peerage and some sort of um, federation of these. And I it was in a conversation with Jordan about um, several years later that at, at one point I basically was saying, no, you can't scale it, but, but, you know, it is, it is about the dynamics between choice change and causation and that the underlying metaphysics allows us to view these concepts in a way that's profound enough to really be able to think about the interrelationship between these things in clear ways. And that it was out of that, that I came up with a, with an understanding of why that other reason the, the solution that I've described so far is not scalable, but, and, and also what it would take for a solution that was. And that gave me a hint as to how to take the proof of existence that I had developed earlier and begin to develop a plan for architecture of what might be possible that would have those characteristics downstream that was mm. scale. Mm -hmm. um, and so in effect, I'm, I'm, I'm alluding to this because the, the dynamic that we're talking to with, with the Axiom 2 thing, because it was able to show, show a solution in the microcosm, it can give you a hint that there is a solution in the macrocosm. Right, right. And as has been mentioned by Tyler, particularly that there's a lot more factors involved. So in effect, I can't think about governance independent of religion and I can't think about it independent of market. Yeah. And most of the time when people try to treat these particular things, they entangle that phenomenon so deeply. Our, 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 our common Western perspective thinking about these problems because our current tool set of how to do civilization has been so successful using market process and mm. industrial revolution engineering and the, the enlightenment thinking and, and so on and so forth that um, even the capacity to be able to think about solutions in this space is actually quite compromised. Yeah. So here's a couple of things that I can suggest that would be hints. And that is unfortunately as much time as I'm going to be able to do because we're rolling into the last 20 minutes of this time. It is important for us to recognize that markets themselves are fundamentally, uh, they're, they're pernicious with each other. It's, it's, it's not gonna be the case that you'll have two separate markets. They will want to merge. Mm -hmm. Anywhere that there's a, a, an opportunity for arbitrage, arbitrage will occur. Uh, this is a little bit something that Tyler was also referring to. Um, and in the nature of the solution, we need to disentangle process, which is focused on uh, evolutionary dynamic, what we normally think of as the invention aspect of culture, mm -hmm. versus activities which are focused on sustainability, mm -hmm. which has to do with what could probably be called universal basic income. Mm -hmm. And by that, I'm actually going to be quite explicit. I'm going to say it's about clean air. It's about clean water. It's about food, it's about shelter, it's about medicine, and it's about communication. Mm -hmm. Those six. Mm -hmm. And that if we're looking at the aspect of culture which has to do with consciousness, with conscientiousness, we're looking at what we normally think of as 
body of law and or particularly jurisprudence. And so in effect, you, could, you, could, you can kind of think about these three aspects as if they were markets, but immediately you notice that you don't want to have entanglement between these three markets. Because if I have an entanglement with the market of justice, that's based upon the very asymmetric dis- differential contribution, right? You talked about the 80-20 rule. The 80-20 mm-hmm. rule shows up on the invention side of things, right? Who has which skills and which time and availability? It's on the market side. But if we basically have a huge level of inequality because of market force dynamics, which is normal and not unusual, right? We're always going to end up with power law distributions and marketplace things rather than Gaussian distributions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But when we get to justice, we need it to be Gaussian distribution. It can't be power law distribution. Not yeah. and have any sense of the word fair make any sense at all. So in offense, there's a there's a fundamental need to decouple the process by which justice works from what would normally be the money process, because if there was any way in which money could influence how justice worked, the richest would always basically had take advantage of the system. Mm-hmm. And the same is true when it comes for basic survival needs. If there's a sense in which money process defines whether or not another person lives, you will end up with wars. Yeah. So there is a situation here where we're basically pointing out that we're using one tool, market process, for three separate functions, and that these three functions must remain distinct, Mm -hmm. inseparable, and not interchangeable. Mm. So there's more than just a little bit of an incidental relationship between how I'm thinking about this and the axioms because you'll recognize that that language has already been applied. So in this particular sense, what we're looking at here is essentially saying in order to solve the problem of culture, we really need to think about it in a a variety of different ways. And the ways in which the methodologies of this thinking process allow us to develop a new set of tools in the same sort of way as in, you know, computer science, for example, we say, have each tool do one thing really, really well, Mm -hmm. right? We're using one tool language, We're using one tool, money, to try to solve multiple different problems. And the kind of communication process that we're engaged in as human beings when we're doing sense-making is a very different kind of communication when we're trying to basically elect who's going to be the next mate. Right, right, right. right. So family dynamics, it's just a different communication pattern. It's a different market. The sexual market is not the commercial market, and it's certainly not the social or intellectual market. And that in effect, to the degree that there are entanglements between these, we end up with problems. We end up with ethical issues because of the nature of the power symmetries that cannot not exist in these dynamics. So in effect, it's a, it's a bit like, and this is something that goes back to something that was a conversation. It was literally the very first conversation I ever had with Daniel, something like six or seven years ago, when I came to understand the nature of the kinds of things he was trying to do, which was you know, solve world-class problems, you know, deal with existential risk and to think about what is the long-term conscious sustainable evolution for the planet. And that's language, which all, by the way, has some very specific meanings as well. And so in a sense, there is this, um, there's this recognition that if we are essentially going to address these underlying issues, we need to be able to understand the concepts upon which these questions themselves are based. And that's why I'm saying to some extent, the answer is abbreviated. I can say, here's some of the factors that are involved. It's not just about finance. It's not just about infrastructure. It's also about culture and its relationship to ecology. It's, it's, it's the relationship between man, machine and nature fundamentally. And can we, 
get to looking at the relationships between choice change and causation such that we can develop social paradigms that are distributed, that don't end up with um, points of asymmetry as, as, as you were describing, i.e. the silo phenomena. Mm -hmm. EGP is a, is a sketch in that particular direction. You notice there's no centralized focus in that process at all. Mm -hmm. But you would be surprised at how hard it has been for me to deploy that process in any group or setting without somebody wanting to basically do an intro speech to sort of open the floor for the EGP process at the beginning. And then at the very end to want to do a closing speech to basically sum up what happened at the event. And those are places that those, those things are essentially counterintuitively wrong with respect to EGP process, right? They end up with that silo phenomenon creeping back in again. So I guess the, the, the summation that I would, I would, I would hope that you could, you could come away with, and this is, maybe ultimately the point of saying all this is just that there is more than just a good reason to have hope that this kind of thing can be done. And that I'm, I'm, I'm at least encouraging you in your explorations and so on and so forth to feel that there is at least on my experience, some really good reason to believe that it can be solved. So I want to thank you for that. That was, the clearest progressive pro uh, presentation of your ideas that I've encountered. Um, and um, that was truly helpful to me. First of all, uh, the idea of the progressive circling is already something that I had also uh, come to. So that resonated with me right away. Like you talked about the elder circling and uh, that's something I've been trying to incorporate into dialectic directly. Um, so, uh, I, um, and then the, I think the thing you said about meritocracy, democracy, and consensus, I thought that was brilliant. Um, and to be fair to me, you did say the next move was abbreviated, and I get a sense of it, although I can't quite grok it. I, I haven't I, given I, enough detail. I mean, I, I, yeah. I wish that it did. Literally, in fact, there's, there's a bunch of conversations Tim, Tim and I and, and, and um, Tyler have had uh, that, that talk about other aspects of this. I mean, it's, 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 I, I think that even in all of those conversations that we've had together that I've really only been able to give hints and not because I haven't wanted to do anything else, but just simply because, you know, there's, there's certainly enough spaciousness created. It's, it's just that there's just a lot, it's a lot involved. And, and I, and I don't know uh, a simple way to express all of it that, 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 that makes sense in every situation. And I get that. And I, and I want to be respectful of the fact that, you, you're acknowledging that. What I meant, what I, what I, what I, what I wanted to say positively, that was the caveat. What I wanted to say positively is I got some sense, though, of the trajectory that you're outlining, how the principles at work in the small-scale situation that you outline are maybe, and I mean that as a positive maybe, a real maybe, not a, like, not a conversational plight maybe. Yeah, maybe they're transferable. Um, and, and, uh, it, like, you know, um, and, um, and I think that... There was hope in me that I think is uh, is, is is genuine, um, and um, so I want to first of all read that the, the paper from two thousand and one. Um, you really whet my appetite for that because I thought that was brilliant. I thought that was bloody brilliant, um, and I know you've gone beyond it. But that's where I'm getting you know access to your thinking in a way that I can. Oh, I can see what he's doing. At least I'm getting a sense, and then I get a sense that yes, I mean there's there there's a way of abstracting the principles out of that. Uh, and I right and, and scaling them up, um, so that's very good. That's very promising, and uh, well, I just wanted to share that with you. I don't have any big, like uh, you know, <laughs> the theory laden response. It's just that I thought 
Um, that was just an excellent presentation. And uh, I, like I found it, I, I found it genuinely hopeful. I mean, I, I, I get the, you know, the, the, like I said, the first move and what you did, the, the progressive circling, yeah, it's already convergent. And then I got what you said in the second one. I went, oh, that's great. That's really good. And then that progression, and then I, that, the sense I had of where, it, where it's going, yeah, I thought that was really good. Uh, and so I just wanted to thank you for that. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm being genuine here. That, that's really exciting. It's very interesting. And um, um, so, like I said, I want to read the 2001 paper right away. Um, I'll try and get that read probably over the next few days. Uh, but uh, we'll, we'll set. That's very good. Like, so, I, like, so this, this is just a genuine question that comes up because I, I keep hitting into this. Like, how do you, how do you, how do you get to talk to people about this without slamming into the moribund left, right, and all the other right ways in which all of this discourse is constricted and ossified and people immediately stop listening to you because you don't take up the identification uh, that, 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 that is the only invitation to join the party. And I, more, I sort of mean the pun there um, on that term, right? Um, and so, you know, I, I've been trying to get people to, to, you know, like I say, I find the, the, the left-right polarity useless and, and stultifying and, and actually uh, pernicious and that we have to move to a meta-political level if we want to try and address what's going on. But man, the resistance to that is like, uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's powerful. I mean, I, 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 I don't know if success is the right word, but I have some success with trying to manipulate that. But like, I, I, like yeah, that's just it, it's just a question. Like, like so there's, there's, it seems to me that there's, um, like there seems to me there's a bridging, a bridging dialogue and bridging practice is needed. You, like, like to get people, if you'll allow me this term, to get people to be willing to move to the metapolitical space so they can hear this kind of stuff. Like that seems to me to be an additional I've, I've, challenge. I've heard your question. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I can answer it actually pretty briefly. The, the main distinction that is that is that is absolutely essential that, that at least that i found is between distinguishing and discerning the difference between social influence and reflective inquiry mm. and, and 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 there's so many layers to this i i notice for example that when somebody is is communicating with me i'm asking two questions are they trying to engage in a process of reflective inquiry or are they engaging in a process of social influence Right. And how do I know which is which, right? Right, right, right. right. It's usually pretty easy to tell which is which once you get the, the, the nuance of the distinction. Yeah. And then I'm also checking myself. Am I in this moment in relation to this person acting right. in a level of social influence or reflective inquiry? Now, I will confess at this moment, if I'm going to just give you an example, I am in the motion of social influence, mm -hmm. right? Reflective inquiry for me at this point is about what questions I'm asking you and what questions I'm asking myself mm -hmm. that I don't have the answers to. But you're asking me a question that currently I do have an answer to. So I am legitimately involved in the notion of social influence. It's a very mm -hmm. light influence. It's mm -hmm. mostly light influence because you actually asked. But if I'm confronting with someone who's in heavy social influence with me, then I'm just going to view it as them trying to manipulate me. And I tend not to want to be manipulated. So for the most part, I will probably withdraw from the conversation. Um, 
And if they pursue, then I'm going to basically say, I'm feeling manipulated because you're trying to get me to do something. You're telling me it's either or thinking I have to be for you or against you. That's like straight up psychopath technique. I'm sorry. I'm not interested in playing. I now am concerned that I don't want to have anything to do with you. I'm not saying that to you personally. I'm saying that in the no. sense of, you know, people yeah. who are deeply political, it's like, well, yes, I can see that you're trying to draft my time and effort into your agenda. And I'm, I don't want to be a part of that. I am a, I'm a free intellect. And, you know, my, my sense of being able to, to move that way in the world is something that I have earned. So in that sense, I, I, I basically am looking to notice, is it the case that they are essentially trying to take something from me, in this case, my time and attention? And so in, in, in that particular sense, if we get the, the, the notion of we're asking ourselves, are they in social influence or are they in genuine reflective inquiry? Reflective inquiry is personal. Social mm -hmm. influence is public. So even just by asking that question, I can protect myself. But by teaching other people this particular distinction, because these are hard to fake signals. I mean, you could try to fake it. You could try to basically pretend that you're in reflective inquiry, but you can know the difference. I mean, people can tell. It's like, it's just so many little subtle things that it's like just, it's like trying to dance when you have a broken elbow or something. You, you can't really, because the shape of your emotions is gonna reveal the integrity of your system. Yeah. So in, in this particular sense, as we have a community that becomes more nuanced about the relationship between control of context rather than just control of content, you know, we think free speech is about control of content and section 230 talks only about content, which is part of the reason why social media and, and the way in which the government works and so on and so forth is at this point so deeply disabled. Mm -hmm. because the manipulation is happening at the context level, not at the content level. Yeah, totally. I totally agree with that. Yeah, totally agree with that. I think that's so, a very good answer. Um, I mean, it goes towards the discernment uh, uh, aspect of wisdom, a discernment that discloses the difference between somebody who's manipulating, I, I, right, trying to manipulate, and somebody who's trying to enter into some kind of collaboration. The collaboration can have differences and conflict in it, but people can still collaborate. And, and, and I think we use the wrong, I'm, I, I'm just, I think we often people use the wrong metric. They, they try, they think like there can be disagreement and, and even some degree of conflict within collaboration and things can run really smoothly in manipulation and looking for that, looking for like a, a conflict versus smoothness, which I think to my observation, many people are using as the heuristic for how well it's things are going. It's, a, it's an okay heuristic, a, a slightly better one, at least in my opinion, is uh, distinguishing between work and play. Yes. Collaboration yeah. truly is play. Yeah. But if, if, if we're looking at social influence, it's work. I care about the outcome. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned with what, what, what's happening. So no, I, I agree. Yeah, that's good. And that, that uh, well, that picks up on a lot of work I've done myself on the work-play distinction. Um, I, I, I pretty much have to go, um, but I really liked this, um, and um, that um, I learned, and I really learned, and I, I understood in a way I hadn't before. And um, I wanted to thank uh, all of you, but um, especially you, Forrest. You came in, and just the taste and the tempo. And, and, and the tenor of everything just was different from the beginning. And it just, it adduced from me. I just wanted to be involved. And um, 
So I just wanted to thank you for that. I, like I said, I, I, I meant what I said. I want to read your paper. I think that move you made is brilliant. Um, and so I want to learn more about it. Uh, I would be very happy to do this again. Um, uh, but I do have to go uh, right yes. now. And, yes, and, of course. I, but, I, you know, I, I, my questions, and that's, I'm sorry, that's selfish. But my, I thought my questions have been really well addressed. And so, I, I, like I said, um, I don't know if other questions are still remaining. Uh, that perhaps people want to ask me about, but unfortunately, I am out of time. Understood. Understood. All right. Thank you very much, everyone, for being here. Absolute pleasure and privilege. Much love to you all. And we'll talk again soon. Thank you. Thank you very much. Blessings. Thank you for listening. And if you enjoy these podcasts, please consider sharing them or leaving a review and perhaps also to consider supporting it on patreon.com slash voicecraft. It will help sustain the podcast, build the network, and make possible more community events and educational resources. There are breadcrumbs to follow if you look.